Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. It's Bryant. And just a heads up, we recorded this episode before Emory Jones committed to ASU. So I wanted to give a heads up because we talk about some quarterback stuff and some transfer portal news that most of it still stands. But I uh, just wanted to let you know, yes, we, we are aware of the Florida four-star quarterback that just committed to ASU, which is a great step for the program. And we're interested to see how it works out. All right. Here's the show. This episode of 12-Pack Radio is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner of the Pac-12 and the best business phone service. It's chosen by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies all over Pac-12 countries stay connected with customers and coworkers using one easy-to-use app. Get Nextiva for your business and get business phone service, video conferencing, team chat, call reporting, emails, all for a fraction of what you'd pay for those services separately. Make great calls every day. Visit Nextiva.com slash 12-Pack to get started. Nextiva.com slash 12-Pack. To get started. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour. Clap for your world-famous full-time champs and feel the power. It's a new day. Yes, it is. For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Bayerian College Football Statistical Model. This is a sharp college football podcast, and it is spring, but that doesn't mean there's some sleazy transfer portal stuff to talk about. Am I right, Rob? Am I right? How are you, sir? <laughs> the transfer portal has suddenly like risen up and eaten college the full college football discourse of late. <laughs> it is. It is crazy. It's insane. And now we're recording this on Monday, and... Full disclosure, there's going to be a few more, and I bet you there's going to be some big names that drop into the portal. Uh, it seems like a number of schools aren't required to put those names publicly until like, I think, 24 or 72 hours, something like that. So there will be some other names, but this uh, week we are going to cover everybody that's jumped in the portal by the May 1st deadline. Basically, if you don't announce before, then you're kind of stuck with your team, at least for another year without transferring, uh, you know, without burning that, that penalty. And... We have our ASU preview, uh, you know, like burning more like spring questions. And we also have our Oregon spring questions. And I think it's interesting that we're doing ASU because all of their team, uh, their players are in the transfer portal right now, which is not great. Not great. But uh, Rob, we should just kick it off right away because this has kind of been the story that's been plowing through uh, not just college football, but particularly the Pac-12 on that front. And that's the story about Jordan Addison. Uh, the transfer, one of the best wide receivers in the country, deciding to leave from Pitt and likely transfer over to USC. And it seems like NIL is a major driver of this. I So I've seen what you said. I've seen what a number of people said. I, I think I have more of a conservative take on this particular one, although I don't think it's it's really that groundbreaking. But I'm just curious what you thought when the news dropped, because I I got it. Right. Like, I, you know, this is the world we live in and everything has changed. I get all that. I did have a couple of reservations where I, I didn't I, just, I kind of felt like, eh, you know, um, but I'm curious what, what you think. And then and then we can chat about it. 
Well, I mean, <clears throat> this is what we're here, not because of not because of name, image, and likeness, and not because of transfers, but because <clears throat> we are the NCAA, the the powers that be within the NCAA and within the member schools themselves still don't want to admit that the players are employees, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, like you, so with the onset and I mean, regardless, like, I mean, genuinely, regardless of anyone that feels like college football and college sports had never changed, like that, that, that was not going to hold any water anymore as you have these exploding television contracts. You have an explosion in the amount that, you know, universities are spending on buildings and coaches and, you know, the players were still getting not very much money. Um, it increasingly looked incredibly bad in the courts, in, you know, legislatures, in a lot of public opinion. Um, you know, I mean, the NCAA, if you look at recent court rulings, like really got it handed to them. And a lot of the opinions, you know, and like that in particular, I believe that Alston case that had gone before the Supreme Court, they went out of their way to criticize the entire NCAA model. Oh, Kavanaugh lit it on fire. Basically, right. it's I like mean, if, if you bring this ish to us again, I will, I will destroy you. I will, you, right. you will, yeah. people will remember for ten thousand years what I did to your, uh, to your model. Basically, <laughs> is what he said. So, this, like, there's no sympathy. I mean, like, it's like the NCAA shouldn't it was did not expect to get much sympathy for like you know liberal justices on the court. They didn't get much sympathy from conservative justices on the court. Um, but all, I mean, those opinions really. <clears throat> in some ways we're setting up like future cases and the NCAA with NIL coming forward in what looked like at the time, like a more limited and enforceable paradigm, the NCAA can't go and can't go to court under the current paradigm, right? Like they just can't, you will, they will lose if they go to court right now and try to limit, or I mean, if they try to limit some player, and what they can earn on NAL, NIL, they're going to end up in a situation where they get absolutely hosed in court because they're going to be arguing over what fair compensation is. And the courts are going to say fair compensation is what anybody is willing to pay. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, um, so we are here. I mean, fundamentally, like, there's no one like, don't get mad at the players. Don't get mad at the big schools. Don't get mad at the boosters at the big schools. Like, no one likes this situation where players are effectively, you know, just being, you could say being lured, being, I mean, like they're being offered more money to go to a bigger school. But all of that is a result of the fact that everyone is still pretending that the emperor is wearing clothes when they are not, right? Like the only way you're going to get to the, like onto the other side of this is recognizing the players as employees. And when you have the kind, as you see in pro sports, when you have the kind of power on one side of a business arrangement, you know, that is essentially monopoly power. The only way that courts really let that fly is if you have some other major countervailing power, like a union to represent players and negotiate their interests. The NCAA is if they want to get into a situation where they could regulate players movement, if they want to get into a situation where they could regulate what pay for play looks like, they actually have to go through and acknowledge that the players are employees. And that's the only way we're going to get to the other side of this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah I, no, I, I totally, that's I, my take. Cause like, 
that that's it. Like we're, we're here because everybody wants to pretend like has their head in the sand. And I'm like, I'm tired of people blaming like the people to blame for this are the people who like were the administrators. Yeah. The thing, the thing for me, I get that. And, and I agree with you on that front. I, I guess the reason I was more bummed out about this was, was not even bummed out, but more just annoyed. And, you know, nobody cares what I think, like in terms of I, I, Jordan Addison could, could give zero craps what I think, right? $3 million is likely the going rate for him right now as it's reported. But I think it was more just, this was the first like real open, like Jordan Addison wasn't in the transfer portal. He was at University of Pittsburgh, right? And then yeah. ASU likely, I mean, it sounds USC, like yeah. Or, yeah, I'm sorry, USC likely just called him up and said, "Hey, do you want do you want us to give you a lot of money to come here?" And it's not, I mean, I get that, but I think it was at least for me it was the first time that there was that realization of uh not not necessarily even though that like this model can't sustain, but like the conference model as it is, like I think I'm projecting what's happening a few years into the future where right. if this, like, like you mentioned, clearly the NCAA has no, like no power right now. So USC, right. Like the rules were, Hey, you can get paid at the NIL, but like, you can't really poach people. And then USC just goes out and straight poaches somebody. And they're like, I mean, basically they can say, what are you going to do about it? Because they can't. The reality is the NCAA can't do anything about it. And right. I think for me, it was it, this was so blatant and there will likely be no consequences to it. That that was kind of why I looked at it and went, oh, man, this is this is the beginning of what's going to happen. And if you extrapolate this out, you know, two to five years in the future, I mean, now you're starting to see the super conference, right? Like I just yep. don't see any way where um, if you're a school like Arizona or Kansas or, you know, Texas tech, I mean, like some, I mean, I mean I'm sure they, they'll be able to survive and stuff, but like this, this will be a very heavy, whatever the future is infrastructure that will be super conferences with these super teams. And then, and then there's clearly going to be a tier two and there might even be a tier three at this point. Which is well, big, which is fine. I mean, at that at yeah. some point, this was going to happen anyway. But it was. I think that's why I was so bummed out about it because, like, it was just so over the top, blatant. And you just look at it and go, like, well, there's a reason why they were able to do this because the current situation as it's structured, right? We're going to need contracts. We're going to need like right. sign. There's going to be like when you actually sign for like the. Who who knows where they go? Like they could possibly put tags on people, like for you know stipulations that if you come to our school, it's almost like a franchise tag. There's just going to be a lot of stuff that hasn't been created. But in the right. meantime, you're going to have three, maybe what two to three years, probably maybe one to two of just chaos. <laughs> like I really right. think that that's what it's going to be. No, I mean it is. I think the larger and you hit on this, like the largest question that's going to come out of this as we talk about because people are mostly concerned about fairness, right? Like, you know, and I, I think that's an interesting question here for college football because college football has fundamentally always been incredibly unfair, right? Like, and, and there are, <laughs> no, I mean, there are some attempts, right? Like, uh, to, you know, limit how bad it gets. Mostly the NCAA has tried to impose those through like roster, you know, like how many, like that 85 man yeah. roster limit, like on scholarships, that kind of thing. Um, but there's still, I mean, all the, I mean, like, and there's been talk even of late of like whether you needed to reduce that again, right? Like to really bring back more parity in college football because you have a lot of teams just stockpiling a ton of talent. But the question I think is if you talk about this fairness question is like, what, 
what do the Big Ten and the SEC care? Right. Like, oh, they don't. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like, I mean, and that is the question that is, is like, they're not going, they're not probably not going to be willing to give up like their natural advantages that they have, you know, the, in, in, in money. Right. Like, and so in that case, then they're going to be, you know, like what's the level of unfairness that like is acceptable to the SEC, the big 10, and then the other conferences, because that is going to exist. Right. Like what is the because it can't I mean, I don't think college football is going to survive well if it's like unlimited. Right. Like, I mean, that's basically where we are now. Right. Like any amount of money that somebody wants to pay is fine. And I don't think I don't think college football is going to survive well in that model. But like, what is it? What is it going to be like if the SEC bands together and says it's this amount? Right. And they can up that at their leisure, right? Like with no, re, you know, with no repercussions from somebody else. Like the 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 difference in the TV contracts is really going to start to show. I, I feel like, and I mean, that's the question of like where, like, of the conferences that are still. I mean, like the, the former. I mean, if there's one conference that I think you look at and is like they're dead in the water, it's the it's the former Big Twelve. Um, I mean, or the existing Big Twelve, I guess you could say, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. there, there's no it's headliner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no headliner there. Nobody's, you know, nobody's like a tentpole for TV and is going to be able to like just guarantee revenue and eyeballs. Um, and I think they're the one that I think down the road, like you can say for sure, you know, like if there was going to be a culling of the herd, like they're probably the one that would get cut out, right? Now then, what do you, what happens to the, now what happens to the ACC or, I mean, and I also say out of those, out of the former Big 12, like there's no one that's getting picked up. There's no one in the former Big 12 that's like going to get invited to super conference land, right? Yeah. So then what happens to the ACC and the Pac-12, right? Like, is it, are they able to incorporate themselves in a, in, in whole or are they cut to pieces and their better parts taken on, you know, into other conferences? That's, that's, I mean, that's the bummer. I mean, the real bummer in all of this, right. Is like, um, because no one in the NCAA took a real leadership position years ago when they could have, cause they were so, they were so afraid of ever having to admit that they were employees. They are now at a situation where all of these other forces are also coming to a head with the TV deals and the money coming in from the TV deals and the changes that have been wrought because of that. And the, you know, the existing school, like the, the schools already insisting that they need to have more power and autonomy to be able to compensate players themselves. They don't want to be told to do it you know, by somebody else. But like, I don't think in the law, like in the long run, they have to figure out something. Otherwise, like college football will wither. Like, I don't think of the current, like, I don't think it's automatic, but college football in a situation where there's no good players anywhere, but like the very, very top schools, like that's not going to work. No, no, I know it, it, it. That's kind of what worries me. I think, I think the thing is, maybe I'm over-exaggerating it, but this strikes me as when we look back five years from now, at the changes that happen, like this is the first domino. I mean, like there was other dominoes, but like in terms of where you could just see, Oh snap, like 
I mean, yeah. like if you're a USC fan, I mean, be really excited because Lincoln Riley don't care. <laughs> like he's gonna do whatever. Right. He's, I mean, he straight up left Norman, took as many players as humanly possible with him, and then called Pittsburgh and be like, and then threw three million dollars at a wide receiver. Like USC is gonna be fine. It's just more the the entire landscape. I think we're right. gonna look back at this moment, and go like that was the first big move that showed everybody that everything has changed and right. and I'm sad about it because I'm with you. I do think that there's going to be, there's going to be clearly a drop off to some of the things that we really like about college football, because it's going to be more professionalized, which is fine, right? You want, you want the players to, to make the money and stuff, but I do think that there's a price to be paid for, for that as and it's not necessarily that they're getting paid. There's a price to be paid for that in terms of the structure around college football changing because of it. Not not because of the players themselves, but because, you know, like you're, you are going to see a lot of teams like th- this. This will be it, it, like at some point, this will likely be the minor leagues, I think. Right. For for the NFL and for good or for worse. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. No, I mean, it's like, I mean, a couple of years ago, someone would have actually taken the leadership. They could have imposed like broad salary. They could have imposed the players being employees and they could have imposed broad salary restrictions across college football that were acceptable, you know, within the power five. And then, you know, what could, you know, what other schools would offer or something like that. Right. Like they could have done that. And that ship has sailed (laughs) now. Right. Um, and that like, yeah, that's the, but I do wonder, I mean, like, I mean, like there are like a lot of the schools in the PAC 12 are still in attractive places where like, it's hard to like, if you were building a pro league, right. Like you wouldn't skip over Denver. You wouldn't skip over Phoenix. Right. Like you wouldn't, I mean, like, you know, you, like you probably like you might have a team in Salt Lake. I mean, like the Pac-12 still has very attractive markets for college football overall. You know that I it's hard to, like it, it is hard for me to imagine, like unlike with the ACC, which outside of the northern schools just has a ton of overlap with existing SEC schools. Now I say you say that like. Clemson is clearly has like a huge fall. I mean, but compared to like even the big dogs in college football, like Clemson's fan base is like tiny compared to Ohio state's um, Florida state has a decent size following. Miami has a decent size following, but like North Carolina football, like, yeah, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, that's like, I mean, or like Virginia, I mean, there's like, you start to get into there being like a lot of overlap, but then two is, and really two is like, I mean, and I live in Big Ten land. I mean, it is Ohio State and then a, an enormous gap and then the next school that brings in money, <laughs> like the Buckeyes. I mean, I, I like the, the SEC doesn't have anything quite like it. Like, I mean, the, the, now the Big Ten has some quite large fan bases, but like the Buckeyes are the absolute 100% moneymaker um, and are able to dictate a lot in the Big Ten in particular about money going forward. Like, I'm just really, I mean, I think it's going to be a really rough ride, unfortunately, in a lot of ways for college sports. Well, we can move on from that. Cause I, I mean, this could be an uplifting. Pod- <laughs> well, you know, that could be a podcast in itself, but um, you know, it, it kind of that first domino to drop. I mean, is a, a big pickup likely by USC. We don't know if they're 
uh, have secured that commitment quite yet, at least as this recording, we haven't seen that. But um, USC also was able to pull up a number of interesting players. They got uh, Eric Gentry, a linebacker that was, you know, basically set to start for ASU is, is coming over to USC. They also were able to pull in um, Brian, uh, Bryson Shaw, a three-star transfer from Ohio State. And really this is, and we'll see this even more in the coming days, we're going to start seeing a lot of names that jump into that portal. Um, I'm just going to run through a couple here, Rob, that have popped up recently. We're going to get, I'm going to set aside the, the, truckload of ASU players to talk about as we do our <laughs> ASU preview. Um, but you have uh, Jacoby Covington, four-star cornerback that was fighting to get on the field at Washington's in the portal. You have, um, uh, let's see here. I'm just trying to, uh, Jalen Jeffers, a uh, tackle from Oregon transfers over to UCLA. You have a couple yep. players out of Utah, uh, Kamoe Leitu, uh, Carson Terabichi, some three-star players jumping in the portal. Ryan Glover, a three-star quarterback from Cal is in the portal. So there's like one guy playing quarterback basically at the university <laughs> of California. <laughs> um, we, we talked about Jalen Johnson last week, so we're kind of getting into some of the players that already jumped in the portal. But again, I do think that we're going to see more players emerge as schools are required to disclose the players that are in the portal. But any, any names jump out to you here? I mean, like, I guess, I guess I should talk about the ASU. I'll just at least name them for you. I mean, cause it's ridiculous. Jermaine Lole, who was supposed to start at ASU gone, Eric Gentry gone, Spencer L- uh, Lavelle, who was fighting for uh, depth at the tackle position gone. LV Bunkley Shelton, four-star wide receiver gone. I mean, it was, it was a pretty rough day for ASU, but any other names pop out? I mean, the ASU is is the ones that really you know stick out. Like I thought, you know the the transfer from Oregon to UCLA was an interesting one. His former four star offensive line recruit, like good get for UCLA getting that. I don't know if he plays this year, but he'll certainly have some depth. And he didn't seem likely to to necessarily start at Oregon. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was just to see like if anybody else sort of sneaks into the portal at the last minute here, you know, with the potential to be eligible in the fall. But yeah, it's going to be. Uh, like, I mean, I guess on the bright side, if you're an ASU fan, is like, at least this should be the end of the bleeding. Yeah, yes, this, this is probably it. Uh, I, I forgot to mention Ricky Pearsall, which we didn't mention last week, I think. Uh, somebody that was slated as a starting wide receiver also departs ASU's program. Um, all right, so from here, we're going to talk through uh, some major spring questions for teams as we go forward. We're going to do ASU, and then we're also going to do Oregon. Uh, anything else we should cover before we go to a break here, Rob? No, I, there, I mean, that was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk ASU since we already just started chatting about their, uh, their departures and let's do it right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back. And for all intents and purposes, it seems like 
you know, there was, there was like a team meeting and everybody was all in, right? Like the, all the ASU players were excited. And then Herb Edwards like stabbed a goat in the throat in the middle of practice. <laughs> and like just everybody left. Like everybody was weirded out. I don't know. It was, it was so bizarre to see how many players from this program completely left. And it was fascinating for me, right? So I was doing our preview for ASU. And so I was listening to, I think it's the Speak of the Devils podcast. And in order to prep for this, I listened to the pre-spring practice you know, right up. I listened to the mid spring practice and then I listened to the post spring practice. And even up until like, I think the post spring practice was like a week ago. And even going up to there, it was fascinating to me because like a lot of the players that are leaving were the players that uh, the hosts really thought were going to be a, a critical, important pieces to ASU this year. So like one of the things that was really fascinating was um, when they were talking about Jermaine Lole, I mean, the, like almost his name was probably mentioned 16 times between the three podcasts of them being really excited for him to come back finally healthy at the defensive tackle position. Well, he's gone. Um, he also uh, behind him was another player that didn't necessarily see the field, but he was a big body and a big recruit for um, ASU's four-star tackle. Uh, Omar Norman lot is also gone. It was fascinating to me. We, we've shipped over to the wide receiver position. There was a lot like, I think one of the quotes actually Rob was, we don't really know about anybody on our wide receiving core except for except for Ricky Pearsall. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. Like, you know, I'm like, and I'm like outside gardening and like audibly gasp as they say that because clearly he just jumped into the transfer portal. That's a problem. Uh, Eric Gentry was a player. They were also saying like, all right, you know, yes, we're thin at linebacker, but Eric Gentry really had himself a good year and he's going to really project to be excellent. He's gone. He goes to USC and it just looks like LV Bunkley Shelton was I think from that 2019 class where they brought in like 17 four-star wide receivers and like none of them had panned out. He transfers out of the program. I know he wasn't um, as, as hyped as some of the other players in terms of his ability to generate, um, you know, the skills to play on the field at a consistent basis, but still another four side wide receiver. I think the third or fourth one that has left the program. I mean, it's kind of a disaster, Rob, if you take a look up and down this, right? Because like the quarterback isn't great. They're, they're going to be running into some issues um, at the wide receiver position. Like I just, you know, when you see that news, you just have to assume that something happened to that program to, to push that many players that were starting players, right? They weren't fighting for positions. They were locked in, in a Sharpie that just left the program. Yeah, I mean, ASU really found themselves between a rock and a hard place, right? Because you have all of the scandal around the program. You have looming sanctions. You have tremendous turnover of all the coaches that were the primary recruiters, right, With on that ASU staff, you know. And then what you're left with, too, is then on top of it, then we find out, like, you know, from Ray, a Ray Anderson interview that ASU was not really going to get involved in NIL. <laughs> so you have all these players that have come in there uh, at a program where players have, you know, like you've already had the quarterback transfer out. You've already have, you know, two new coordinators coming into next season. You already like the position coach that recruited you is probably gone. And, then to top it out, you probably find out and you continue to hear from people who have gone into the portal or are new recruits elsewhere that you're not getting paid. And they are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, 
I mean, that's why like, I am assuming that what Ray Anderson was saying in that interview was correct and that ASU really was was not. They were they were staying aloof of the NIL space or maybe that they were having trouble, um, you know, given the situation with, you know, surrounding the football program, the pending allegations. There's a lot of anger uh, within the ASU fan base, not just at Herm Edwards for everything that happened, but at Ray Anderson for hiring him. Um, and continuing to back him through all of this. And so it may be that they struggled to really, you know, get, you know, alumni on board. And I mean, they had just announced like some ASU alumni had just announced that they were going to form an NIL collective. Um, but it feels like too little too late. So, I mean, yeah, like if you were an ASU player that was, you know, any good looking at your current situation and realizing you could basically go out and get bumped up to market rates. If you entered the portal, um, that's a pretty good deal. Oh yeah. I think it's really fascinating to see how the fallout has happened there. And like, obviously you have a lot of turmoil in the program too. You know, one of the things that was fascinating for me was the fact that Herm and his coaching staff talked so much about really needing to get into the portal, right? We're going to, we're going to aggressively bring oh, in players from the portal, right? That was all they talked about. And then you take a look and there's some interesting people they brought in, right? They have a couple offensive linemen. You got one out of Penn state, one out of San Diego state. They have the, the Wyoming running back transfer. They have like a um, FCS all American that's coming in at safety. I mean, like there's some interesting pieces here, but the thing that really made me worried as I was reading the coverage and started listening to some of these shows is like, they, they are saying, right? Like, at least some of the beat writers are talking about, oh, don't worry, we're going to jump into the portal and pull out some more offensive linemen. Well, good luck with that because you and the rest of the world are going to be doing that. Like You don't know. Anyway, yeah. When people say stuff like that, I'm like, do you even follow college football? <laughs> like, because we've talked about, right, like every fan base in America is like, oh, man, I want the coaching staff to go into the portal and find us an offensive lineman. And you go look at the available offensive linemen and it's like uh, it's like trying to buy a house or something, right? Like there's just <laughs> yeah. not like there's not much available and they're not on the market for very long. <laughs> and the ones that are, you got to do some work to, to get them up to speed. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think, yeah, it, it is. It is kind of. Uh, it's, it's a disaster. I mean, like, it'll be interesting with all that said, you know, taking a look at the depth chart, I think there are some set positions here where you can actually squint and be like, okay, like they could be like, this is still a roster that can be competitive. I don't think this is a roster anymore. That's going to be eight win competitive. I think the ceiling is starting to lower. And I think the real worry for me, I guess this is the biggest question is, can they keep any semblance of culture? Because, you know, we've, we've seen this with teams that just gave up. You saw USC last year just totally fall off. Oh, USC the last, you know, every, every four yeah. years they fall off a cliff like hardcore when their coach is like out the door. But, I mean, you saw ASU totally just collapse. Um, I think Oregon in that championship game, a little bit of a collapse. There's only one game and they did make the Pac-12 championship. But um, Arizona, right, with Kevin Sumlin, total collapse. And I'm just worried that and now – to be very fair to ASU fans, like this team is significantly better than the team <laughs> that you beat 70 to seven that collapsed with Kevin Semblin. So I am not comparing the talent. I'm more comparing the culture can Herm with a new quarterback and all these starters just totally decide to leave the program. 
I mean, this team is on my radar as being a team just to totally bet against, regardless of the spread in the beginning, because they might, they just might have given up already. I'm just curious to see if, if they can pull it together. Am I being over, uh, like overly uh, <laughs> negative about what the the position the program's in? No, no, I think that's really fair. Well, I mean, like, I think to the to your point, right? Like, one of the biggest <clears throat> questions that's going to be like, how much buy-in. Are you gonna? I mean, in particular, right? Like for ASU, like what happens if injuries happen? You know, like along the way too, um, and it starts to spiral. And I think that's and there's a real, to your point, like there there's bound to be already some. They, you know, not not everybody dissatisfied with Herm has left the building. I am sure, <laughs> and so, like, there's bound to be this. This feels like what could be, and so, like, I, I think there's a the, like, how do I put this? There's about a 45 percent chance next season could end up from like a a really really bad year, right? Like, now I think that there's a sizable, say, like 40 percent chance you know, that it ends up somewhere in the middle. And then I think there's like a 5% chance that it ended up somewhere, it ends up somewhere very good, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. but like, I mean, when I say, I mean, like this could be a four one team, you know, or less because yeah. it could go like, I mean, it could go really bad and they're not going to be, <clears throat> they're not going to be a team. Like it just doesn't, it, you, uh, you're going to have a hard time talking me into this team being a team that fights even when they're getting beat. I think that, I mean, look, maybe, maybe they turn it around. Maybe they have a big FU season and it's, they really turn on that, like us against the world narrative and maybe it works. Um, but I really would be, I mean, yeah, like I'd be really concerned. Like what if they do have injuries along the defensive line where they're already thin or at linebacker? <laughs> or, yeah. I mean, it feels like, it feels like suddenly they're really thin in a lot of places and that's where it's like, man, like a, an injury here, an injury there. And you're in a lot of trouble. Like, I mean, like Paul Tyson, the quarterback transfer, right? Like, wow. I mean, like what if they get an injury? I mean, an injury at QB, like how does it even, I mean, they could be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. The thing that worries me there, um, I guess like another question that I have is who the quarterback is and whether or not they pull somebody in from the portal at the, at the last minute, right? There are going to be a couple of quarterbacks out there, but the problem with, you know, uh, with getting these last minute quarterbacks is, you know, it's somebody that's going to be beaten out. Now there are a couple of quarterbacks that I think will be beaten out that are legitimately good that could land in a PAC 12 program and start. But I mean, you got to think, right. This goes back to culture. Who's going to want to go to ASU with the rebuilt offensive line um, with a coach that's on his way out with problems yeah. up and down that with a bunch of starters that just left like a like I kind of think that if ASU brings in another quarterback and I could be wrong but if they do I don't think it's going to be somebody that's going to be any better than the players they have right now just based on what they were able to get in the first place you know like Paul Tyson you know four-star guy but from all things that I've read is like he's neck and neck with Trenton Burkett who's like he's great at pajama football and he's a really smart, everybody talks about his, his IQ. I'm sure he's awesome. Like I've been told right. that he is like a seven on seven all-star and players love him, but the right. the ceiling is just real low with him. And I mean, I'm just, I don't know if they're going to be able to pull in somebody that's going to be able to drag this program up to like six wins and get to a bowl this year. I guess that's, that's the question I have. Is that, is that fair? 
Yeah, I mean, like, it, I mean, you go through the wide receivers and you're like, oh, man. I mean, it feels like all of a sudden a wide receiver room where you are genuinely asking questions of like, man, are these guys going to get open? I mean, I think, <laughs> you know? yeah, maybe. Like, so you take a look at it, right? The thing that worried me was like when they were talking about, oh, Ricky Pearsall's like our most competent wide receiver. And, you know, you would assume, like, I loved Brian Thompson last uh, at Utah. I thought he was a, like a star in the making. But to your point, he gets on ASU, but like, they were terrible at throwing the ball last year. Right. Um, Elijah Badger, of all of those, like that class of 19, all those players, like he was the one I think every ASU fan was most excited about. Um, yeah. And then you have some guys with, with high pedigree. You have Chad Johnson's kid, Andre Johnson's kid, and then Jalen Conyers, who is that um, like four-star tight end out of Oklahoma. So on, but to your point, like to your point though, like on paper, these guys look great, but none of them have really produced. And if you're a quarterback, you kind of have to, if you're looking around going like, A, am I going to get protected? B, am I going to have good coaching? And and C, am I going to be able to chuck the ball yeah. around? And the answers are probably no, no, and I don't know <laughs> for ASU this, <laughs> going into right. this, uh, this spring. But that's the tough. I mean, like we, and this isn't our first, like, you know, we certainly have experience covering programs that have recruited really well and then not had those results translate onto the field, USC, UCLA, <laughs> you know, like Oregon at different points for different, you know, the offense and the defense. That's what I like. I, I'm like, these guys did not. And look, like not everybody turns it on immediately. Some guys have to develop into the college game. Some guys just need their shot to be able to get onto the field. All of that's true. But like all of these guys have really struggled to get onto the field, you know, um, with what was not an amazing college football team in the last past couple of seasons. Right. Um, and that's where I've kind of like, I'm, I'm a little concerned, right? Like, yeah, you could be like, Oh, former four star, but like the guy has been basically riding the bench. Um, so we'll see. Like, I, I mean, that's what, like, I'm, I'm really like the quarterback I think is going to have to be like, and, and this is where Bourget maybe like, maybe like his IQ and decision-making like really pay out for them because they might need somebody to get the ball out really quickly if the offensive line struggles. Yeah. You know, looking at this, uh, depth chart rob do you have any other questions about you know the defense offense position groups i mean i think it's gonna be really interesting too is like they lost some good players out of their secondary to graduation or um the nfl right yeah all four um, of them i mean like uh, yeah and so that. yeah i mean on top of losing lole who was somebody that you're sort of penciling in um and then the guy i mean their big get uh, in the transfer portal may have been, it felt like Nesta Jade Silvara, but like people that watched his tape didn't think he was very good. <laughs> so, uh. I mean, so it is one of those, it's like, it's a really tough, like it's tough for like, I mean, look like Merlin Robertson's still, I mean, in, I mean, unless some of that one's going to get announced or something like Merlin Robertson's still there. Like they still have some good players, but it definitely feels like all of a sudden, like I, I do worry a little about, about, about their ability to stop the run and then generate a pass rush. And then you have basically what's going to be a brand new secondary behind them. It's hanging on by a thread. It's like that, um, uh, Lord of the Rings, like where he goes and sees the queen and she's talking about how like the fellowship is hanging by a thread. That, that kind of makes me feel yeah. nice. Where, like, uh, again, on paper, there are enough players here 
where they can be competitive, right? Ladarius right. Henderson on the, you know, Ben Scott moving over to center, Chris Martinez, like it's, you know, they were able to bring in some offensive linemen, but still they're, they're not proven. And they said they were going to try to get in to the portal for some tackles. Well, again, good luck with that. The defensive line was a strength and I think they've done a really good job building up that staff and developing those players and developing talent there. With that said, they just lost their, you know, two defensive tackles, right? So now you're, oh, well, they really, now they're going to have to to develop that. Um, and then a, a totally rebuilt secondary and the linebackers were fine, but like Merlin Robertson kind of reminds me of a lot of the wide receivers where, you know, on paper, really big producing player in high school had a good first year. Um, right. And then he kind of fell off a cliff and like just hasn't really been the same player. So and, and then, of course, they, they, you know, we're filling in the other linebacker with who knows, probably Michaela McCullough or somebody now that you have. Play. And, and Rodney Gro- uh, Grossi, I think the guy from Mississippi State doesn't look like he's f- figured it out. So it's just, man, if there's a lot of things are going to have to go right for ASU to win six to seven games this year. And I just don't think that it'll do it. But, um, you know, we'll go through, we'll go through the full roster breakdown as we do our real team previews and, you know, all the teams that they'll play and, and their, their schedule and all that stuff. But all right, let, let's, let's go to a team that might have a little bit more of a, um, <laughs> of a bright spot. Let's, let's go to Oregon here, Rob. What do we have here? Uh, what are your questions with them? Uh, my question is, with, I mean, like, let's start with the quarterback, <laughs> you know, um, you know, in, in steps Bo Nix, uh, to compete with Ty Thompson. Uh, and we, I feel like we have to just, so we don't get comments like obligatorily mention Joey Butterfield, <laughs> which we've done for like the last three years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had somebody in the Oregon preview last year. I said, based on somebody who knew telling me that Anthony Brown was going to be the starter. And they said, how could you even know that? And he goes through like Joey butter, like a huge tirade about Joey Butterfield and Ty Thompson. And like, lo and behold, Anthony Brown started all year. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest question is because the offense is going to be different that they were running under Moorhead. Moorhead got a lot out of what they had last year. I mean, and in some ways like Oregon's, Oregon's offense under Cristobal felt a little bit like the Island of misfit toys as far as skill position players went, but like really good offensive line play. Right. Like, and it's sort of like whenever anyone around college football always says like, if you have a good offensive line, you're going to be really good. Like Oregon's the team I always throw out is like, maybe (laughs) (laughs) you can have really good line play and have a stink off, like a crap off. You can have Justin Herbert at a great offensive line and have an okay offense at Oregon. (laughs) Um, you know, so I think, I think that's like the major question. Um, and I think too, is like, if, um, if Nick ends up being your starter, what, I mean, I think he's got a higher ceiling than Anthony Brown does, but we, I think Bo Nick still has a ceiling, right. Um, as far as like what he's going to do now, he's going to get a far, far easier slate of defenses than he saw in the sec in the pac 12. Yeah, and then I think your your next questions are are really around. Uh, I mean, I think they do have a little bit of a question at running back um, with Die leaving, but I like Cardwell and Dollars. Like, I think they should be largely fine there. Yeah. Um. And and if I recall, I think Cardwell's the smaller one, or are they both tiny? I I I, I, just I don't are... think Dollars is a really big guy either. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they might. I'm, I'm sure they'll bring in somebody bulky. They just got that Minnesota transfer four star kid uh, that came in from. Um, uh, Marquise Irving from Minnesota jumps in. So that'll be interesting. I loved, like, I think I only saw him for 
one game, but Byron Cardwell was so freaking fun and he was so fast. And I'm like, that guy's awesome. So yeah, I, I think like if you have two speedy guys, I just, you know, one thing I guess the question I have is, are they going to have somebody that can, you know, be a, more of the thunder to the lightning? But I, yeah, I agree with you. I think they're yeah. going to be able to run the ball. But then I, I think the next question though, and I think this goes hand in hand with the the question of quarterback is like Oregon's wide receivers have been a lot of stars and not a lot of production for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, you know, like I, I look, I mean, there's some, there's some good players here, you know, but like, is there anybody that they're going to be able to, and like Oregon did not do a great job I mean, with Brown last season. They didn't do a great job throwing the football. Um, really the, the heart of the offense was what they were able to get out of, you know, explosive plays running the ball for the most part. Yeah. Um, so I, like, what's it going to be? How are you going to get like, is, can Franklin or Thornton take a step forward? I mean, we've seen Chase Coda, like he's, he's fine. He's, he's a possession wide. I mean, I hate to like, I hate to like typecast a white wide receiver as a possession. No, wide no but he is. Yeah. <laughs> but he is a possession wide receiver. It's like, it's like Steve Buscemi. Like, you know exactly what he's going to be. Every right, time like, he's in a movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, but it's true. Like, I mean, and it's not like, I think he's a good route runner. He's got good hands. Like, I think he's a good pickup for them, but he's not like, he's, he's, you know, like he's good depth, I think for a squad like Oregon. And that's where like the, the questions really start to like, I mean, I think they're going to be, I, I should say, I think they're going to be fine on the offensive line. I think that the, like, it's a little TBD on like what the offensive line is going to look like after crystal ball. I think they will largely be still be very good, but I don't think the TBD is going to kick on till a year or two down the road. I think that they largely have guys that they've been developing under the crystal ball system. I still expect to be very, very, very good for this year and next year. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I think it's a, an interesting offense to take a look at. But th- I mean, I remember looking at the wide receiving core just going, this is an embarrassment of riches and just not seeing the pr- the production. And you could blame it on the quarterbacks, right? You had Tyler Shuck and then you had Anthony Brown. But at some point, like, it, it you know, it's, at some point, I do think that like the talent shines through regardless. Like it wasn't like Anthony Brown was a stiff and it wasn't like Shuck um, couldn't throw the ball down the field. You know, like these weren't, these weren't quarterbacks that were just complete disasters. These were fairly competent quarterbacks that, um, showed that they could put up points if, if, you know, and and did. So yeah, I'm, I, I I need to see it. It's a new system, new offensive coordinator, all, all that stuff. But I thought that was fascinating to see if they're able to do that. You know, on the other side of the ball, Rob, I'm curious about the secondary because, Mm -hmm. You know, and similar to ASU, you had a uh, litany of players that left this year and last year uh, to yeah. the NFL. I mean, Verone McKinley's gone, Mikel Wright, who was a, a mainstay there at corner. And, you know, you bring in Christian Gonzalez, the guy from uh, Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I'm just, I'm curious what we have here. Like Brian Addison, didn't, wasn't he a wide receiver for a while? He was. <laughs> yeah. yeah they, they beat out UCLA for him. And then, um, I mean, he could like, I think he couldn't get into, there was like a, an academic issue and he ended up at Oregon. Yeah. Cause like, if you look at the, the, the linebackers will be fine. They got Sewell and Flo and Mace Foon is still there. I think yep. the, the defensive line seems fine. Um, yeah, obviously you have to replace Thibodeau, which like one does not replace a take cave on Thibodeau, but yeah. they still have really high level talent there. But that's secondary. You're going to be able to throw on this team, Rob. What do you think? 
I mean, you were last year. I mean, like the, the yeah. big thing that the big thing that was true about this Oregon defense last and look, I here's the thing. I think they're gonna clean I think Lanning cleans all this up. <laughs> you know, I think this defense should be really good. Like they have a lot of talent. I think Lanning and the coaching staff is going to coach them up. I think that they're going to be better than they were last year. What they did really well last year, they limited big plays and they limited yards per play. The problem was, is they couldn't get off the dang football field. Everyone could drive on Oregon. <laughs> Arizona did it. UCLA did it. Air Oregon gave up over four, uh, over 45% on third down. They gave up first down. That's an insane number. Yeah. Um, they just like, they have a lot of cleanup to do on like being able to, what we call in beta rank drive efficiency, like not giving up long drives. And they gave up a ton of long drives last year. And I think they're going to be better at that than they were last year. Um, you know, but like, I think some of it starts on the defensive line. Cause like outside of Thibodeau, like the fact that you were giving up that kind of a third down percentage and Thibodeau is there, like they weren't getting much outside of him in a lot of ways. Right. And yeah, they had some injuries, but like that's secondary, like McKinley had a ton of picks, mostly thanks to like Jordan McLeod, but <laughs> yeah. that, you know, like this, I mean, it, it is sort of funny. I mean, like you want to talk about like the Oregon defense, like, if Jordan McLeod doesn't throw five, five interceptions, like Arizona is hanging with Oregon, you know, in that game um, pretty easily because they were moving the ball up and down the field. But a lot of it was at throwing the football. And like, I don't know. I mean, like, I think you could see this Oregon secondary being better than they were last year, even with the players gone. And I think it's because you're going to have better coaching. Yeah, that's interesting. I think you see it. I don't know if you see a drop off offensive play because... I mean, I think they're, well, I, I, I don't know. It seemed like the ceiling was fairly low on the offense last year, but I don't know how much higher the ceiling goes with Bo Nix. You know, it's right. That's like, like there's a Bo, it feels like there's a Bo Nix cap, right? Like, yeah. I guess, the, I guess my question would be who in the North can stop Oregon from getting its ass kicked by Utah in the Pac 12 championship again? I wouldn't bet on, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you would still make Oregon the favorite, right? Like, the talent that they have assembled is still better than anybody else in the conference. And I still think, I mean, I think Lanning is a better pickup, like, on his side of the ball than anybody else in the North. And then I think Dillingham's a good hire. Right. Like, I think the offense should be like, I think they could finish in the range they did last season, which was a top 20 offense. Yeah. Um, you know, but like, I don't think Bo Nix gets you much higher than that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think like, you know, Oregon's going to be a year two, year three store I, and they'll still be good this year. I just, I, I, I feel like somebody in the North is going to bite them. And now someone could, I mean, like they could have an unexpected loss. And like, if you were going to pick like, I mean, you you feel like you have to throw Washington in there. I think Penix, right? Yeah. Makes them interesting on offense. The defense, you know, should be better against the run than they were last year. Um, but then would you, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to touch Cal or Stanford for that. <laughs> like that is, those, are, yeah. those are not my ponies, <laughs> you know, like, like like Glover left Cal even after Chase Garbers tried to go to the NFL and went undrafted. Um, like there's, you know, like it is, uh, it is not a pretty sight in the Bay for football. No, but 
Like the other dark horse I would throw out is maybe Washington State. It's a big maybe, but like you'd be betting on Ward and that offense really clicking and Dickert continuing to do good work on the defense and then they get lucky. That's the other thing. Like we don't talk about this enough in college football. Like if I say someone's a dark horse, like they're going to need some luck to probably get there. Um, And Washington State would probably have to have like not only would they need to beat Oregon, and I believe that game is at Washington State this year. They would need to beat Oregon in the head to head and then they would probably have to have the Ducks drop another two games. And I think you could see then somebody like really pull off. If Oregon were to finish with three losses in the conference, like six and three, the conference is weak enough. Somebody else gets lucky. They could finish with two losses. Yeah. I did the Washington state spring preview and I, I agree with you. I, it, it, the, it, it's like a, a s- older brother version of ASU where you look at the roster and you go like, well, if everything goes right, but rather than if everything right. goes right, they win six games. It's like, well, if everything goes right, they could compete for the Pac-12 North, but everything has to go right. But the, but they on yeah. paper can can actually get there. Yeah, I, that's that's an interesting. Um, and, you well, know, but the difference with Washington State is like the the staff is far more competent yeah. than the current ASU staff, <laughs> <laughs> and not an NCAA hot water, right? Like, yeah, and I I do think you have a Washington chomping at the bit to, to yeah, finally oh yeah. get over that hump. Although that game is in Oregon. So, uh, yeah, I mean, be- listen, it's like JT Daniels to transfer to Oregon state. I would be like, oh, the beavers are my dark. Speaking of like oh, beavers, no. you're going to have to figure out name, image, and likeness in this short term before it all goes to hell in a handbasket. Like help Jonathan Smith out. Yeah. They, they, there still is a few more days for them to pull in somebody, so I'm still rooting for them. But uh, we've been we've been watching that with bated breath. We're kind of like the AAC fan base watching their wide receivers, right? We're just waiting for it to come to fruition, and it just right. it hasn't done it yet. So we'll, we'll take a look. Uh, all right, all right. Let's pack it up there. Next week we'll do Washington State and um, a team to be determined, and I'm sure there will be more transfer news to be able to cover as we move forward. And we have a ton of stuff that we're, we'll be able to, to tick through. We have, you know, best quarterbacks, best, you know, like there's just a lot that we have on our plate that we can make sure to serve up for everybody as we move through the off season. Uh, Rob, anything else to, to plug? I saw that you were doing your Oregon video here recently. Yeah, I did. And it is, it should be uploaded. Uh, no, it's not uploaded. I got to go back and check on that. I forgot. Cause I restarted my computer six times because we were doing this. Um, so I will check on that and then, um, yeah, but, uh, by all means, check out the Oregon preview. Um, we've done at this point, 16 previews, uh, 17 previews for the college football, the upcoming college football season with more to come. Nice. Oh, and I should plug something. I was on, uh, our friends at the quack 12 podcast, Hithliday and Adam, uh, went on there to talk Arizona football. So I had a good time. We spent, you know, if, if you're a sucker for punishment, we went about an hour and 40 minutes on Arizona football. This is a team that's going to win three games, but I had just done the preview of them. So had them fresh on my mind. So if you want a full breakdown of that roster, uh, that's a little bit more in depth than the one that Rob and I did on our previous show. Uh, that is where to go. Quack 12 podcast. Um, all right, everybody. Yeah. Well, we will catch everybody next week and stay tuned for more coverage of the conference.